I just remember you're on wheels. I am on wheels. I tend, get, I tend to get very excited. Very emotive guy, I tend to so. move around. <laughs> we'll see. You guys ready to do this thing? Yes. Let's do it. Well, I'm feeling good. It's a quarter to eight. Oh, what a day. Yeah, it's going to be great. Because I'm on my way for a bite at the Holy Donut. Yeah, yeah, I'm thinking donuts for dipping, coffee for sipping, maybe that donut with bacon today. Come on, let's see what's new at the Holy Donut. Oh, yeah. How do you like the precept? Mm. Oh, I haven't tried yet. I, 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 <laughs> I need to be sober for the first 20 minutes. <laughs> I think that's a good, a good way to go about it. It's a good goal. Not so what do you think? <laughs> That's, I, like, <laughs> I like to start with a real icebreaker. Mm -hmm. um, today's an exciting episode. We have Lee Kellis and Jeff Buckwalter, co-owners of Holy Donut. One of what I would say is one of the most well-known brands in Maine. For sure. Absolutely. And mm -hmm. um, kind of awesome way it came together. Me and um, I kind of met Lee serendipitously a few, few weeks ago now, maybe a month ago, yep. something like that. And um, we got to talking just about business, was taking a couple of pictures. And before I had known it, about three donuts, an hour and 15 minutes, <laughs> hour and a half had gone by and really found it to be an incredibly engrossing conversation. Um, and a lot of what we were talking about there had a lot to do with um, like delegation and kind of the way that you had set your business up to work for you in a lot of ways, I would say. And um, where that really kind of resonated with me is I... I Noah had touched on this thing a few episodes ago, but I think in, in beer, a lot of times, and not to paint with a huge stroke, but you have this kind of somebody who generally came from brewing, started home brewing, and got all this positive feedback from the mm -hmm. beer that they make. And then as craft brewing has done what it's done, and there's been so much growth, the ability to grow out of the thing that you did that you got all your identity from is incredibly hard for people. And I think it's been a thread that we found on this podcast over and over again. Mm. Um, trouble with delegating, trouble with kind of growing into a different role and thought would, this would be um, an awesome opportunity to talk about some of those things after we hear the story of how you go from baking donuts in a kitchen to selling a couple million of them a year. <laughs> yeah, there's a story. <laughs> um, and just to, to tie it home one more time, because when, when we walked in and... Pete got really excited when he found out you guys were coming in because we used to go get the donuts. Pete did when we would have Swish releases. We did. You weren't yeah, part of it. I wasn't picture. a part of it. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't a part of it. I wasn't brewing or baking. Um, but truly would go get Holy Donut, pass it out to people that were waiting in line when we'd have really big release days. It's such an incredibly cool thing. And I do think there's some parallels to and speaks to something in Maine that kind of happened around the same time where these types of artisan concepts, mm. craft beer, food trucks, um, your bakery and other bakeries that followed it, kind of something was happening in Maine. Those businesses are pulling on a similar thread. Um, yeah. But to take it all the way back, I think let's start with kind of the origin story of how Holy Donut came to be. Yes. Um, I am going to say it was 12 years ago. I was in a position in my life that needed, I needed direction. Mm -hmm. And I was going through a lot of life changes with a marriage ending and needing to find a career and a passion and an income. Mm. And I really was feeling drawn to, I was craving donuts relentlessly. Uh, I worked at Auto Pizza at the time. 
Yeah. And I was a bartender at their little location on Congress Street. And the owner, who was also a big mashed potato as an ingredient guy, ah. which is kind of a cool <laughs> connection. Go, yeah. Speaking of, yeah, you know, Portland and our artisan businesses mm-hmm. and how we all inspire each other. And I can get into that, too, because a lot of the businesses in this town have been very supportive, especially when I was starting. I went to six, seven, eight different businesses for help, inspiration, mentorship, supplies, and just guidance. And every single person was helpful. Mm. But the auto pizza guy said to me when he knew that I was really craving and obsessed with donuts, it was an obsession (laughs) for months. He said, one day, he said, you need to open a donut shop and you need to use mashed potatoes. And I started the next day. And I was living in an apartment on Mundry Hill and I started experimenting with donuts with mashed potatoes and found that Yes, that was a delicious winner of a product. And so just practice for months. Yeah. Trying was to make there a sh- lot of uh, info on that? Because I, no. I until, until Holy Donut, I had never even heard of the concept. No, I went to the bookstore and wrote down a bunch of recipes because I was a single mom with literally no money or any experience and wrote down recipes for free, took them home and started practicing. And one did have mashed potato in it in the Joy of Cooking cookbook. And that oh, was wow. our original recipe. I then proceeded after a few months of making them every day like it was my job. Yeah. I just I just wanted to make donuts every day just so that it was just became part of me. So for f- three to four months, I would make them and share them with people. And I brought them to Auto Pizza. And at night, I would be bartending and pouring beer and wine and just saying, eat my donuts, eat my donuts, eat my donuts, <laughs> like eat my some, donuts. Taste my homebrew. Taste my <laughs> yes, homebrew. You just push it on people. And <laughs> yeah. you, you just try to generate excitement. Yeah. And it worked. And so then eventually I got the courage to walk down to Coffee by Design on Munjoy Hill. And I walked in and Marnie was the manager. And I said, I'm selling a product. And I was all nervous because it's putting yourself out there. Totally. And you know, and you don't want to be rejected. And food is heart and soul. And <laughs> brewing beer is heart and soul. It's sure. like, it's a personal thing. It's not a cookie cutter product. It was my personal product. So she said, sure, bring a dozen tomorrow. And I just was thrilled. I said, I said oh, wow, somebody that will sell easy. my product. Yeah, that was easy. <laughs> And so the next day at 5 a.m., I made a dozen, brought them down. She paid me five bucks and they sold out. And I just felt like I'd hit gold. I'd hit the lottery. Like, oh, I've a su- successful day if people want or try your product. So day after day after day, I went with, yeah. went with that. And then the wholesale orders grew because Coffee by Design has four locations. Yeah. So they were very mm-hmm. receptive and that, that really launched the business. Being at each of their locations. Yes. So I would bring them to every location in the mornings. Uh, and then I went to Whole Foods being very very gutsy yeah and went right to their bakery and said i make a product would you sell it and she just said yeah sure and i left screaming my head (laughs) off i went jumped in my car and called my mom and i said whole foods is gonna sell my product and i we just screamed it didn't even make sense and you're obviously (laughs) and whole foods would have been pretty new in portland Uh, at that point yeah well 12 years ago yeah it was relatively yes they had just taken over that the green grocer whatever that Uh place was and so you would I'll, obviously be making them, just making them out of the kitchen at this so point. So then I so. rented out the East Ender. Gotcha. And rented out their space as my commissary, um, whatever you call that. Com- commissary, commissary kitchen. kitchen. Yeah. Just to be licensed. And so then I would uh, make them four at a time in a little, a little fryer from like Target. <laughs> <laughs> and I would do four at a time and I was so stressed. I wanted them always to be perfect. And so then my dad jumped in about seven months into it and said, I'm going to come and show up at 6 a.m. every single day and help you deliver because you just you can't afford to pay somebody, but you have a business and this is a great business and people are buying your product. So then I got a second fryer. So I was making eight at a time and I would watch the clock because they had to be perfect. And 
It was a very, very, very ridiculous way to do it. Yeah. it. I could have used a big fryer. We had a big fryer there, but I just, you know how your your brain doesn't know how to expand mm. until it knows how to expand. Yeah, until it literally is forced to a lot yeah. of the time. Yeah. Mm. So four at a time made sense to me. Even I was doing many, many, many dozens. Four at a time took hours. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so it was completely insane and totally time inefficient. So that I'm trying to um, make the story, you know, as concise as possible. Sure. So then my dream was to open a donut shop. I felt like Portland needed it. It felt like it was going to and be. Can I ask you a yes, question there? Because yes. you say you, did you, when you talk about autos, did you have baking experience at this point? And when you say you're, you were like obsessed with donuts, was it that you were looking for a, a different, like not a Dunkin' Donut, no, but you, you were looking for a donut in the marketplace that Thank wasn't you. there? Thank you. That's exactly, that's a good way to, to clarify that is. I wanted to be able to go buy donuts for myself, yeah. but I have very strict ingredient full, uh, requirements. It had yeah. to be a, a quality product that um, I had been, I'd gone to San Francisco on a donut tour and I found these organic, cool donuts. I thought, I love that concept where it's a, it's a serious junk food and it's the most forbidden food literally in yeah. our culture. Don't eat donuts. Yeah. If you want to just be healthy totally. and donuts are literally the bullseye of what not to eat. <laughs> and so I kind of went right into the bullseye of what not to eat thinking that there's the forbidden fruit has some sort of excitement and and um glamour about it. Sure. Mm. Or or maybe not glamour is the word, but I thought if I'm craving donuts, everybody has to be craving donuts. Like it's a subconscious thing. We all want what we're not supposed to have. So I knew it was going to be sellable. I never questioned that. Yeah. And then I figured, but throw in good ingredients. And then the main potato thing mm -hmm. I knew was also the bullseye because I knew that as our, our foodie town is so specific about quality. Totally. And we're crazy with our loyalty to Maine. Totally. And I thought all of these I'm are from salad. Too, by the way, so. <laughs> they'll never let us be yeah, part of the car. Yeah, Mainers are hardcore about blueberries, lobsters, and potatoes, sure. and we're very, we're very proud of our main thing. Mainness. Yes, yeah. mainness. Yeah. <laughs> so I knew a delicious product that you're not supposed to eat, but you put in the good ingredients and you use the main ingredient. I said it's a, it's a winner. Yeah. Never, ever, ever question it. So that was where the five a.m. every day for months and months came in. It was like, nope. There's there was just never a voice that said. This isn't going to work. Doubt. And I think with starting businesses, those voices crush dreams millions mm. of times a day. Oh, yeah. It's the self-doubt. And the, oh, people aren't, this isn't going to work. And nobody's going to want your product. But I was like, everybody's going to want this product. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, ready to go. I was like, right out of the gate. I was, this is just, this is going to win. Yeah. So we opened the shop. Park Ave went really well. That Park Ave was the, the first one. Yes. Yeah. Opened it on a shoestring, very little investment, no help other than uh, my dad and I painting it and redoing the counters and buying a fryer. Um, and then the Portland Press Herald wrote about it 12 days in. So it was kind of a trickle of business for our first 12 days. <laughs> it's a very short uh, launch period. Yeah. Very short. And so on March 16th, we opened 2012. March 28th, Meredith Goad wrote an article about us, and we had a line out the door and down the street. The next day? Yep. Ah, uh, from the Port Portland Press Herald. The Portland mm -hmm. Press Herald and the food, the food um, <clears throat> section, she just said, yeah, she said, holy donuts, t putting a spin on, a, on an old classic kind of thing, or reinventing the wheel, or something, which I actually is part of the philosophy of the whole business, was you don't need to reinvent the wheel. Yeah. You take a product that exists, put your own spin on it, 
make it a little artisan, a little more, you know, culturally uh, in uh, unique, unique. Yeah. yeah. Like the potato thing. Yeah. And it's then you, unique. Yeah. It's like 100%. take one ingredient, take one recipe and change one ingredient. It's yours. Mm hmm. So yeah, March twenty eighth was really kind of the day the business just kind of went. Were went. you you and well you and Dad the only employee? No, nope, we point? had a few. Um, we had a main employee yeah. who was there every single day. My sister was there, um, and one other guy cutting donuts. So it was very yeah. very small at, at the at the park. It's so kind of ready and able to take the kind of big no, influx we that comes from the no, press it honestly, No, it honestly took about eight years, and that's kind of just the facts, to, to really meet our demand. Hmm. The first several weeks, months, years were a scramble almost every single day. And that's on me because I just didn't know how to meet the demand. I sure. didn't know. Going from four to time to all of a sudden mass volume hmm. in lines, it was, it, was, it was overwhelming, which is great. A great problem to have. <laughs> sure. Of course, the best problem to have, as they say. And I think that's, you know, Q and Jeff, he saw the kind of the, uh, the, the, franticness and the insanity <laughs> and the uh the excitement and the success and mm. he you couldn't not see it but uh he just said we we've got something to work with here and i i, I my dad and i couldn't handle the volume yeah um and yeah we hired people but the systems in place just didn't come in for quite a while because we just didn't know how we didn't systems it's, it's yeah. a hard growth don't mm. i yeah <laughs> Don't I know it? Um, mm. From the just habitual <laughs> habitualizedness of sort of like it gets really you get really used to just existing in chaos. Um, <laughs> exactly, uh, and, and that's I relate to pretty much everything you just said, just in a different uh, different package. Um, but at this, once you get used to that, bringing someone like Jeff in, like someone that by the very nature of it is is being brought to help provide structure help sometimes there can be also like a resistance to even that idea because it is not the zone you're living in what was mm. that sort of process you're just you're, like? you're nailing it all in the head that's mm. exactly a good way to summarize it chaos was completely comfortable and normal to me mm -hmm. and i was extremely uncomfortable when jeff came in and said we're going to create structure because i was it's it's it was so different. Yeah. I just don't know. I didn't know what structure meant. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just absolutely true. And it's a really good, good point. Um, but we wouldn't exist if we didn't have structure. So how did that whole, what did the coming <laughs> on board look like from, from your perspective? Um, well, first I was just, you know, completely blown away and like impressed. Like there were lines out the door. It yeah. was mayhem and people were ravenous. It was very cultish. And so, you know, I was a bit intimidated, to be frank. In the beginning, I'm like, this is just amazing. My job is just to, to not mess this up, but also apply structure and, and some accountability and systems and things of that nature so that we could grow the yeah. business um, and grow it sustainably. And so in the early on, you know, I think, you know, Lee, you and I didn't always see eye to eye. And, you know, I was to a lot of the crew. They're like, what do you No, You're messing with what we're doing here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, well, no, I just, you know. We have to have systems so we can have a replicable product, yeah. right? We have to have training manuals. We have to have accountability. We got to have a handbook. We got to, you know, stop doing these things and start doing these over here um, to, in order to allow this thing to grow and thrive, right? Um, and so it was, it, was a, it was a balancing act, to yeah. say the least. Uh, and I had never spent more than, you know, a couple of months washing dishes as a 14, 15-year-old kid in a restaurant. So my learning curve was like steep, super steep. And so- 
I also wasn't lost in me like, oh, who's this guy yeah, right, yeah, coming yeah. in here? So I had something to prove a little bit, right? And so I had sure. to go in and work my ass off and learn all the jobs and all the positions and kind of be on call and, you know, make sure that I prove to the team that I'm like worthy to be there. Yeah. Right. And so I think that continues for me today. I just, you know, I'm, my job is to carry the torch that Lee and Al and Cynthia and Liz, everybody started. And is Al looks, your father? Uh, yeah. yeah, and I don't yeah. think we've clarified that this is my That's sister's gonna, husband. For some context, <laughs> Sorry, you guys yes. are brother-in-law and sister-in-law. Yeah. Correct, yes. Correct. And when that, but that initial thing of getting involved, who approaches who, how does, does is it like a help out here and there thing? What is the actual well, flow the of chat, you really being a part of the team? We used to chat for a bit off and on. Um, family businesses are challenging, right? Yeah. Um, and I think it was really more so Al that kind of approached me. And, 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 and you know, and so I think that was, there was just, there's a little bit of awkwardness on my entry, if, if that's, you know, for all being honest. I, I think that, that yeah. was just the reality of it. Yeah. Um, and so it was, you know, family businesses are just always challenging. And but what I was grateful for um, before, you know, I formally stepped into the business, you know, our family unit is super tight uh, and we love each other to death and we have Sunday dinners. And, you know, that was something we never wanted to step on. And, and, and I think, you know, while we weren't perfect in navigating that road, we did really well. Um, we, you know, in business, you're not always going to agree. Yeah. You're going to have some conversations, some more robust than others. And I can remember Al and I was having knockdown track out arguments My dad. in mm -hmm. a teeny tiny office. That's maybe a third of the space here. Right. And it's it, but then we would laugh and have a beer afterwards. Yeah. Right. And be able to set it aside and tomorrow's another day. But it was the first few years, you know, we opened up exchange almost immediately uh, when I came aboard. Um, that was 2013. Um, and in retrospect, we had no business opening a second shop, right? We didn't know what we didn't know yet, yeah. right? But it was also probably one of the most important things we did, right? I think there's an important lesson there in business in, in terms of, you know, Why? not waiting until you're perfectly ready. It's kind of mm. like having kids. If you yeah. do, you'll never have them. Um, but looking back on them, like, holy shit, we were not ready to open a second one. We didn't have shit figured out over here yet. But I, I think few things were more important to our brand than launching and catching that wave in the old port in 13 and you know we're, timing is everything yeah and we fumbled around we opened up at the end of the season right and you know my first day in like shelves were empty all the time it was <laughs> just it, literally it was insane we had no idea like, how to meet demand right yeah. it was so, a disaster it was craziness right it was well, you know and for you specifically having having your dad ask from what it sounds like more like ask him to to get involved how were you so able to be supportive and not take any of that personally and i actually what did that look like that from way your i side? thought i uh, until this moment i thought jeff approached us <laughs> and, and, and i, I could have it a little wrong but it was it wasn't like a super clean smooth right? it was just kind of hey come on in we'll, we'll help and we'll do this yeah. thing and, and i was yeah and it was a little overwhelming to think we're going to take on someone who has to now support his entire family on this kind of crazy hmm. totally imperfect high wire act <laughs> yeah. like, well, like the ma that's, i think that's part donut of magic like yeah. when you can't circus. fail right when everything is on the line you'd yeah. be surprised at what you're willing to do <laughs> i was like seriously 17 18 20 hour days yeah 60 80 100 days in a row just yep. whatever it takes right yep. and that 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 was the cool part of it and you know just i had absolute and utter and complete faith in and what lee had created right yeah and I made really good money at my former job, but I hated it, right? And so I was also looking for something new. What capacity were you working in? Was was there any kind of, there must have been some degree of crossover. I, I had managed business units. I was in the hospitality sector, managing hotels and, and stuff like that, more on the sales and marketing end of things. Um, 
but I knew, you know, I knew budgets, I knew finance, and uh-huh. you know, I managed lots of people, managed them remotely, but I never managed a day in food in my life. And so, to, to your point earlier, you know, reaching out to as many people as humanly possible. Bob Johnson at Scratch was an awesome dude, and just I'm like, okay, what are the margins need to be here? Yeah. Right. What, what was what was our what ingredient number cost? Am I shooting for? Right. What does this <laughs> look like? And Condon's Donuts. Let me go down and tour their facility and just score and just no shortage of uh, people to reach out to that were helpful. And then the wonderful thing, and I don't know that it doesn't exist outside of Maine or Portland, but everybody has that rising tides mentality, right? And they're, they're totally welcome to share what they've been through, the grind they went through and like, you know, willing to help their fellow brethren in the food space. I'm sure it's not entirely different in the brewing space. Noah's got incredible stories. No, I used to think it was just beer, honestly. I, I had kind of the concept that, that food was just so much more competitive, at least from a strictly from a margin standpoint mm. that, uh, yeah, I just had the idea that this is sort of just this insular, you know, thing in beer. And, but the more people, certainly through this, that yeah. I think that we've talked to more than anything, that's was completely false <laughs> to a completely wrong assumption. Mm. Seems like it might be a, a- a unique, at least from our, a unique to Maine thing where people are just supportive. And- yeah, and you know, we, we, we help one another out. We're huge on buy local as a state. I think yeah. we're the best, biggest buy local state in the country, um, last I heard. But it's, yeah, it was very cool to see everybody's willingness, provided you're not in direct competition, right? And, but it's, you know, nobody had uh, any trouble with me bending their ear, and I did a lot, yeah. you know, because I was completely ignorant and had so much to learn. You got to get the information somewhere. Yeah. Right. As he's starting to implement these things and the business is starting to get just tighter in a sense or a little more rigidity to it. What is your growth looking like at, at that time? So I guess to continue the on our timeline. Yeah. So then we opened Exchange when Jeff came on board again, 2013. Mm-hmm. And uh, the next step was what, three years later? I'm totally guessing. We opened a, a pretty big place in Scarborough. And I'm just going to preface that by saying when he said he joined originally, there was an awkwardness. Because I didn't want to be big. Mm. I wanted to just wear an apron, make a few donuts, take two days off a week, put my kid through college at best, and just have a really simple life. That was my original donut dream. Yeah. Just a cute little donut shop. Just me and nobody else to deal with because I'm just not like a manager. I don't want to. I wanted things to be simple and sweet. And Four old, at a time old in world. a fryer. So then Jeff comes in with these big things, big thoughts, and it just freaked me out. I just couldn't mm. really grasp. My brain wasn't going from little, little mini donut operation to big donut operation. Thank God. And I've completely changed my tune now. And I'm psyched that he's, you know, hitting the gas pedal with this business. But at that time, I was extremely scared. Growth is scary. Mm. Evolution is scary. Expansion is scary. It just felt like it was going to put me way out of my comfort zone. So yeah. Fast forward to whatever year we opened uh, the big one. It was a Tim Hortons in Scarborough with a drive-thru. 17, yeah. So when Jeff and my dad proposed that for me to come look at it, I said, nope, nope, absolutely not. <laughs> you wouldn't walk I in. Have a nice She's day. Like, nope, 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 nope. I said, I'm not doing this. I'm glad I'm- this got off to the right foot. Yeah. <laughs> I said, no, this is a horrible and- idea. This place has no soul. We're never, yeah. I just, this is not the holy donut. Yeah. I the Tim wrong. Horton ghost. Yeah, must Warren be, Buffett must be kind of took heavy. him to, yeah. was, took him to was, Canada. Ew. And I was thinking, yes, yeah. it totally. was brown plastic laminate counters. I mm. said, this is not us. But the point is, we completely gutted it. Yeah. We mm-hmm. put him a personal touch. It feels very homey. It feels very holy donut. I'm constantly proven wrong in this business. And I'm mm. totally cool with that. And I think that's the best way to grow. Well, and to- it's the people too. I mean, it just, you know, the soul of our company is our people, right? We, we have the 
most fortunate to have all these wonderful people that choose to to hang out with mm-hmm. us every day. Um, and the reality is, you know, we we wholly donatize that thing, right? Everything has kind of been a little ethereal and, and sprinkled with a little bit of pixie dust from Jump, right? And Lee did a fantastic job at making sure that place reflected our brand. Yeah. Um, and the people did a great job by being who they are and giving exemplary service. And yeah, you wouldn't really know that that was a former Tim Hortons. And, you know, we were all, and I shared a little bit of that trepidation of wearing somebody else's skin a little bit, right? Um, but it, it certainly worked. And, and that's really, you know, and that was really out of a need to meet demand. Like we were packed to the gills. It's a pretty there big spot There was way too. too much, you know, going on. We... 24 hours a day, somebody was there and stepping on the other person at Park Avenue, which is where all the production happened, you know, and then the dough would be made and it's just getting out and it was, it was mayhem. And like, okay, so that well, was running 24 hours a day. Park Avenue was 24 wow, seven wow. and there was never in it. Every other team was complaining that this other team's not done yet. And I got to get in here and do my, uh-huh. I got to make the glaze. I got to make the dough. And, and we didn't have the storage space. We had to blow out a wall and we're like, ah, you know, we're 15, 20% year over year growth. And like, we're not going to be able to meet demand at exchange, which is taking off like a rocket. Yeah. And so we needed another spot with a little bit bigger commissary space. And that's really what Scarborough was all about. That you could use that space for the, the retail, but also as a facility Correct. to get more donuts out to Absolutely. support the other So stores. we can make all the dough, yeah. all the glaze, all the gluten-free product, have a little bit more space, not be stepping on, uh, on everything and, and really be able to meet that demand. And, that Scarborough community supported us so mightily. Um, and then, you know, Exchange was just a flipping monster. Uh-huh. It was the mosh pit, we call it, right? That little teeny tiny store, people jammed and packed in, and it was it was mayhem. Yeah. Was there or was there or is there um any production at an exchange? There was. There was. Yeah. Okay. They wouldn't make I mean, the back of that kitchen was I would be shocked if it was more than twelve <laughs> foot by twelve foot. Yeah. And they would make they would get the dough and the glaze and they would make on a busy day 5,000 donuts in that Jeez. little tiny space. Like my hat's off. I'm like, how the bleep are we doing this? Yeah. And it was it was craziness. But, but you know, they started at, we kept backing it up. Okay, let's start at 3 a.m. Well, let's start at 2. Let's start at midnight. Let's start, you know, it was, it was nutty. And that was my, just as a fun, as from somebody who is from away, moved up to Maine, there's kind of, there's these things I see happening that weren't happening in New Hampshire. In, in whatever sense, but started Might still not be, I don't know. <laughs> but started to fall in love like with the Bissell Brothers brand before I worked there and yeah. this and that. But I'd come down from Bangor, you'd go to Portland and you'd go get craft beer at Oxbow and Bissell, a couple of these places, and you'd go get donuts at Holy Donut. And I, mm. I can't put like touch what that feeling is and why there's something it's... that feels good about it. But that was like the loop of the thing we would do. And mm. I don't know what it is in you to make I you want to take that phone out and show people that I'm eating a holy donut, <laughs> but it's there. People I'm drinking so a Bissell Brothers beer. It's there. I need to yeah. signal this to other people for whatever reason. And it was really cool to watch that space. Um, mm. Mosh pit is a good adjective for it, but it would be really <laughs> cool to go into that space and get donuts. Yeah. And you guys, I know you don't sell out now, but would you sell out often at that point? You oh just, my God. Open it until you sold out and then Every be done single for the day, was, right? But that wasn't, I think we, we got accused a lot of like manufacturing scarcity yeah. a little yeah. bit. I know that We're feeling. like, yeah. the reality <laughs> yeah. is that we just didn't know how the hell to meet the demand, yeah. Yeah. right? And, you know, there came a time where we're like, okay, we should have this figured out by now, yeah. right? We owe it to people who are making a pilgrimage from Bangor or New Hampshire, or you just had the gentleman come from Alabama yep. who flies up here two, three times a year just to have donuts. Like, okay, enough <laughs> of us not figuring it out. Yeah. So. You know, it was a, a, 
but we didn't have the space. Uh, once we had Scarborough, we had the space and we just, we need to refine what we do and we need to be better at forecasting and uh, we need to be better at a lot of things in order to focus and meet that consumer demand. What, can, can I just jump in real quick, uh, just before we leave it? Um, I'm curious about how, how, uh, how you ma- navigated the transition to, to um, becoming 24 hours a day. Like, the brewery right now is at um, a point where it's sort of on the edge of where we would need to consider either brewing every day, like including the weekends or going deeper into the night on, on days. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah, it just is worrying to me for a lot of the same reasons of if for nothing else, it's not what we do now. Mm-hmm. Um was that smooth, rocky? No. <laughs> it was It was really 100% out of demand, yeah. right? And it was, you know, and there was, you know, I can remember when we uh, asked the folks over at Exchange, like, we're, you know, because Park was already 24-7. Uh-huh. And it was just, that was just the way of it, right? Um, but in order to meet demand on Exchange, we also had to go, right? Uh, almost 24 hours a day. I asked them to come in from four o'clock to three to like, now we're going to show up at midnight, everybody. And they were like, what the, that's not what I'm like. Okay. Well then, all right, oh, great. I'm going to be in there. I'll be next to you and we'll do it together. And we'll, it was just like sleep was not, there wasn't a lot of it uh, to go around, but it was, it was really just either that or we can't justify what we're doing here. We're not going to be able to yeah. meet demand. Yeah. So, and we thankfully, I don't think we lost many people. Some people were like, yeah, I'm not down for that. Um, and then, you know, it's just what we had to do. So we did it. And as you do get the bigger space, get into Scarborough and start, that, that feels like it must be like a leveling up point in terms of starting to hit an altitude, it like was, a cruising altitude. Yeah, it was, it was, we, that was a big bite, right? I mean, it just it never ends. Those, those bites at the apple just keep getting bigger. Right? Yeah. And so we also took on drive through. I yeah. never worked in drive through. I don't it's think Tim anybody has. So we had to figure that part out, there. right? And so, Along the way, we've just always had to bring people into the business that could supplement and backfill where our weaknesses were, right? Mm-hmm. And that's really, you know, around scaling and learning about, you know, how to grow a business better. You know, I know for myself, I was, we were being our own restrictor plate to growth in a lot of areas, right? Mm-hmm. And it was, you had to bring on other people, even though I'm, you may love that thing, or this is what I do. You talked about the brewers, you know, maybe not being able to let go of that, but Part of our, as I see it, part of my job is to get things started and hand them off. Yeah. Right. To people who are better or more competent, whether it's as scary as it might sound. Right. I used to be the accountant and, and then the admin. That's and then, you know, my wife came in like, oh, my God, what the hell are you doing here? Get out of here. Right. And so then she, she's running that. And it was just that's you figure it out along the way. Mm. Right. And that's all of our jobs. I think if you're going to be an entrepreneur is like, you know, OK, I don't know it, but I better damn well figure it out. And then I got to figure out who else can do it better than me and bring that person in and let them go do their thing. I think that's that's where I think myself included, where many entrepreneurs have the hardest time Yeah, is it's natural to if you have created something successful in the first place, you clearly have the juice to figure things out. But then you're the one that figured it out (laughs) to then uh, it has always been a very precarious like concept for me and many people we've talked to on this mm-hmm. to then functionally effectively and routinely delegate these things as um it's uh, hard yeah um, it's messy it's the hardest it's the thing that pops up on here and this to me the most is yeah. that is that delegation thing well, i think it, it's kind of somebody said it to me one time and i can't recall who that was but it so what got you here is not going to get you there 
right? And so there's a shifting <laughs> of the mentality that like, okay, if you're gonna go for broke, if you're gonna scale, if you're gonna do these things, you can't keep doing it this way, right? Uh-huh. It got you this far, that's great. If you wanna stop here, then stop here, right? But you know, you can't keep going and keep doing things in that way. And I think that's always gonna be the way, I don't, you know? Yeah, and to that point, Lee, is you kind of, we've used on this pod gas and break dynamic mm. for you'll find a lot of business partners that are in the gas break dynamic mm-hmm. I'm and a break guy break guy. Eats the gas yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. but as and you kind of have said the same thing you you were open about your your feelings about scarborough at the beginning as being like an absolute no <laughs> um and being very much the breaks in that situation as scarborough does get up and going and does seem like it it shows there's very positive reinforcement and feedback from what's happening there. Where are you at in terms of growing and, and maybe being aware of in that, in those moments of what that your initial reaction was to oh, yeah. resist My, that, I have but a totally it was different the right thing now. to do. Totally what, different to brain. To just talk through some of that, what that was like, how uh, you learned that. Oh yeah. I mean, now that I, now that the infrastructure is in place and we have this incredible team and we're going to talk about Arundel, I'm sure in a minute here, which mm-hmm. is our Kenny Bunk Arundel location, which is the gas pedal. <laughs> that yeah. is the gas pedal for the next phase of this business. And Jeff has done an amazing job building a commissary kitchen that is extremely impressive and then a donut shop and a set of offices on this beautiful property in Arundel, which is really exciting. There is no such thing as as breaks in my head anymore. <laughs> but how do you let that go so so easily or so quickly? You know what I mean? I, I think, like we're saying, so many people fight against that it for wasn't, so, so long. So it's been, it's, been a while, it's been a while. And I think the True. original, so 12 years ago, I was a solo operation. One mm-hmm. person. There was nobody else. And so I'm just thinking as we're talking about the delegation part and letting go is really uncomfortable because I don't know how to teach everything. That's what people do. A lot of times we just will do it all and you don't want to even teach anyone else because you don't even know how to. You just, it's right. easier to just, just do, do it. it. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was a huge learning curve at the very beginning to go from one to two people to three people to four people to five people to six people to a hundred people. Mm. All like one person's little job is now a hundred people's job. Yeah. And that was, definitely a long process that is not there's there's no way to even write about how that happened because it was such a gradual evolution Mm. yeah and you know his perspective is so different than mine i'm the creative uh genius slash what's that funny character that's got flour everywhere and I'm like um, oh the the Muppet chef yes, yeah, 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 yeah. that's me I am the Muppet chef with yeah. the, the apron and the glaze and the creative ideas and let's make pomegranate and you know Alan's coffee brandy like I, all I want to do is think about flavors I do not want to sit down and talk about employee manuals or budgets or margins I like my numbers and I like money but yeah it's all about flavors for me gotcha and so I guess it's kind of an abstract answer to the question, but Jeff and I, our, our brains are so different, mm. but they complement each other perfectly because I'm the crazy chef on the Muppets yeah. and he's the numbers guy. And you have to have those two things because one person can't be both. And you get yeah. to live in your lanes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I still, I, I, all I ever think about is creating things and mm. that's what I want to do. And so as we're growing, you know, it's exciting that we still have this, great platform to continue to create and continue to um, justify the love of the Holy Donut when you just said, why do people come here and why are mm-hmm. they taking pictures and yeah, why are yeah, they yeah. checking in? What is it? And so I'm going to touch on that. Do it. <laughs> the Holy Donut is love. It, you feel it when you go in there. You taste it. 
Yeah. It was a very important part of my life when I was in a huge transition. I had to support myself and find comfort. And I think people taste that in the product. That Uh it just tastes comforting. Donuts are comforting. And I think people line up because you're buying a feeling. And I'm glad that we're here. I want people to know the story because a lot of people still say to me, oh, it's like, is it like a chain or is it... Nobody understands that it's a family business and nobody understands that it's always going to be a family business. And we started from scratch, you know, in my kitchen out of hardship and and adversity and divorce and the need for just something to do. Yeah. And I think that the story is really part of the whole business. It's like the American dream and that you can take over a Tim Hortons and make it cozy Mm. and comfortable and a local business. Screw you, Canada. (laughs) (laughs) Take that warning. Exactly. Thank you. So the Holy Donut is a story and it's a feeling. And I think, you know, I think that's why people like it in this. I keep looking at the the picture of Portland behind you is becoming very um, homogenized in big hotels. And so it makes the Holy Donut even more special. It makes Bissell Brothers more special. It makes yeah. all of our artisan little mm. local family businesses that much more special. So the expansion mm. in Portland doesn't bother me as much as I kind of should because it just makes us more mm. Uh, desirable. Yeah. Yeah. And Maine is all about family businesses and small businesses. That's what, that's the backbone of Maine. And I think we all have a huge element of pride that we get to wave the main flag and, Mm. and, and, you know, the old poor is really dominated outside of the big hotels by local small businesses. And, you know, for us, you know, to Lee's point, we sell a feeling, we sell an old fashioned way of doing things. Our people actually genuinely smile at you, right? When you come up to the counter and you chat with them. And it's, if you go to a Duncan or another chain place. They're like, they're like whipped dogs. Just right? a product. It's not, and you just, it'd be amazed. You just treat people like human beings. You give them a voice, you love them and they do wonderful, fantastic things. Right. And and we're all the beneficiaries of that. Mm-hmm. It, uh, I'm not, it might still be running. Um, but I, it, makes me just think of the the radio jingle that uh used to be so it, yeah i'm not sure i'm not sure i, I just haven't listened that. to the radio in a i mean minute. it was but awesome. it seems so so yeah. indicative of of everything you're sort of the old time it's like the definition of that yeah, yeah. you know yeah. we'll get you a copy if you want to play it this it's it, it would round out this story very well Great. it's it a really beautiful would, four-part yeah. harmony song thank you for mentioning yeah that. absolutely mm-hmm. maybe jake hill has to step aside for this this episode yeah. for our <laughs> intro music yeah, yeah. <laughs> um mm. where did that I, I, it's a little bit of a uh tangent but was that something you'd kind of had in the pocket for a while or where, where did that uh, uh where did that idea come from because i mean of i course. i don't know it's hard for me to uh stand out on the radio i i for nothing else and i still however many years later when i first heard that remember it yeah. <laughs> um which i guess is what a, a jingle is designed to do um in that sense yeah but, live in your brain yeah um, we gotta bring that back yeah so you know, do, uh where did that uh so my dad wrote it well right now he and then we had our oh fun. even the family wrote feeling the song it's quarter <laughs> yeah. to eight. Oh, what a day yeah it's gonna be great cause i'm feeling something at the holy donut in yeah. four-part harmony barbershop quartet it was it's it was, it's, it's, it's it was cool it's the bomb yeah. Yeah. yeah so thank you we will bring that back oh, yeah. <laughs> happy yeah. i could help <laughs> <laughs> it does and it really 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 sums up the the soul of the business mm-hmm. which is just old school everything's okay that's the whole point is like donuts are supposed to be the least stressful thing Five minutes of your day. Come get a coffee and a donut, and you can go on your on your way and feel like, ah, oh, the world is not so bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is the only the true mission of the business is to bring hope 
and a little bit of a smile and a little bit of positivity to people's day. And it's going well. <laughs> and that's yeah, why it seems people like it's line going up. pretty well. <laughs> and so we just got, you know, one of the most photographed places in the state of Maine, Acadia, Portland Headlight, mm. and the Holy Donut, and two other places <laughs> were the most photographed places it's in the entire that's state. Crazy. Crazy. That, that's crazy. That came across my email and some, one of our uh, teammates sent over to him. Like, Are you kidding me? Right? That's How did we become the most photographed thing? On, on It was on Yelp, but it was... Like we beat out Portland Headlight and Acadia. Like how the what? <laughs> and, and we're constantly pinching ourselves. Location, probably all of them, but just all, people it was with all, the logo between all of our locations. Uh-huh. Yeah, right? and, and so I, I, I'm sure it's the same for Lee. I'm constantly pinching myself. I'm like, how? You know, I, I kind of know how, and I, I understand what we do and, and how we do it. But let's be honest. There's a lot of very talented people in Maine and in Portland in this food scene that make a lot of delicious things. Yeah, that haven't gotten the fanfare that we've gotten. So yeah. we are terribly fortunate and grateful right and so i think that that's a large part why we choose to get back to the degree that we do right we we owe a debt of gratitude for for this community for getting behind us and propping us up and let's talk about that I've, i have a very unique lens where i came from like restaurants and very much like worked hard got got next to owners and started to learn all the things of what are the margins what is for that and that mm. became my job understanding food cost and labor costs yeah. and then the first thing that happens is you go why is anybody in this business? <laughs> and then you come to beer and it's more of a manufacturing business and see mm. that, that you have, it's a much better vehicle to do things in communities and things like mm. that. Cause it's a better, it's a better business with better gross margins. Mm. Um, I was really taken aback or just thinking about it a lot after we talked Lee. Um, you've got over a hundred employees, correct? It's seasonal. It's it, right now sure. we're in our, our ebb season. And yep. so right now we're around high seventies, low eighties, midsummer will be just north of a hundred. Sure. And you're, and I've heard some things even prior to, to meeting you, this thing about, I'd, I'd heard somewhere about employees being incentivized mm-hmm. to volunteer in their community. Yeah. And when you just in a general sense, when you think, I think about your business as being a very hard business to retain, mm-hmm. motivate, and really compensate properly staff. Mm-hmm. Um, so talk about some of the ways you've done that, keep retention and, and invest in people. I would mm-hmm. imagine it's a pretty thin margin business, but as you get more scale, it becomes easier to do those things. Just talk about the the, the employee mm-hmm. and the people aspect of what makes yeah. Holy Donut what and it is. That's... The, the soul of our business, right? I mean, and you're right. The margins are terribly thin in our business. This game of nickels and ounces. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Lee had a, a wonderful idea, 16, 17, somewhere in that neighborhood, of, you know, that giving back and donating her time is very important to her. And she wanted that to be a part of the Holy Donut. And so we, you know, we, we incentivize and it's grown and it's developed over time. But each of our teammates has the ability to earn two additional days off, 16 hours of EPL for time donated, um, giving their time to those less fortunate in the community. That's awesome. And so we kind of, you know, over a couple of years, I can't, I'm not sure who coined it. Maybe it was you, Lee, that flower power, right? It's kind of the umbrella where all that lives under, F-L-O-U-R, power, yeah. right? The power that we can all uh, wield in the community with the power of flower. And it's it's awesome. And so we give mightily whenever possible, less in the last few years of the pandemic. Uh, it's been challenging, but it's one of the most amazing things that we get to see is a look on a, maybe a, a younger person, 18 to 20 something, who's maybe not ever gone out and volunteered their time selflessly. Now, again, we do reward them, but like afterwards, like, oh my God, that was awesome. That I made that person's day or, you know, we're, we're giving, you know, flowers away to people at nursing homes or we're special Olympics or special surfers or 
all these entities and like to be able to introduce these young people you know to the the thought of thoughtlessly giving to somebody else with heads no ability to repay you ever yeah right and what is how does that make you feel when you go home it's a jay shetty thing it's very cool <laughs> yeah. and you know so we're if we can you know to your point we're in a, a relatively high turnover type of business and yeah. our, our 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 teammates skew rather young right and so they're most of them are going to fly away and go do other things our job is to make sure we teach them what we have to teach them while we're here right how to work hard how to be a part of a team how to give right and that when they go on to do whatever they're going to do hopefully they look back fondly and be like you know what i, I learned that the holy dawn uh right? you really accept that and, yeah and lean into that but and and what's really cool is like a number of them are like you know what i never thought i was going to be in the donut business but this is checking a lot of boxes for me yeah right these people treat me well they treat me like a human i actually have a voice here i get to do really cool things there's a pathway for me to grow and and to and to continue to develop uh, in my professional career and you know, all of a sudden, oh, geez, I'm here for seven years. I never even thought about that, right? And it's it's and really cool. One thing that became clear to me as we got into the podcast more and thinking about those things is that you need a certain degree of growth to be able to allow that part of it to Otherwise, happen. Otherwise, the career path doesn't materialize. Yeah, where well, right? you can start to scale the people that are giving you Absolutely. everything they've got and, and create that so dynamic. So you can invest in their development and, and that sort of thing. And you just be amazed. You give people an opportunity. And some people have started, you know, very humbly in the business, right? Cutting donuts or washing dishes. Now they're a GM, right? Yeah. And now they're they're mentoring other people within the business. And and that's as much of their job as, you know, running that individual store. Their bigger job is developing that that talent beneath them and giving them a, a clear view of what that growth path looks like for them within the company. Yeah. Um on that same note, uh, why don't you you go into Arundel and and sort of what that means for uh leveling up next mm. chapter whatever term you'd want to use but clearly that's a touchstone uh it of the moment anyway again need right we, we just were not able to meet demand right if we were going to stay in scarborough um and do all of our commissary functions out of there um and the reality you know we do have to like we have a handmade product and that's hard to scale right and so we needed better space we could have better sops we could procure ingredients at a more cost-effective rate, have a little bit more storage, but also have a place that would be a good launching point. That location is really all about its position on 95, right? Continue to grow southward, right? Uh, both mm. New Hampshire and Boston are certainly eventually on our list. New Hampshire is a um, beautiful place. It is. It's gorgeous. <laughs> I heard. Um, but it's, you know, if we're going to continue to scale and grow, and that was, you know, during the most frankly inopportune time to be building anything mm. right i mean everything was more expensive everything was delayed you know our, our retail location there which is a very small was an, is an ice cream shack and it's going to be walk up and drive through but that was supposed to be open in july labor mm. just wasn't there yeah right so if we were going to open that Wait, we were going to rob labor wasn't there <laughs> yeah isn't that weird yeah it's really weird yeah. um now in this market we're all bidding each other up and like you know your margins um so, you know, for us to apply some level of mechanization to the process and be able to have product consistency, right? When we opened Scarborough, we found out, oh, we had three different versions of a chocolate sea salt donut, right? Mm. And we realized, oh, shit, our training sucks, right? Okay, so we need to do a better job at training. We, you know, it's, you know, scaling an artisan product is as challenging as it comes. Mm -hmm. And so we needed a space to be able to do that properly um, and not step on our product. It's got to be the same no matter where you get it. Um, and allow for us to launch and maybe start targeting some different markets. We played around with Hannaford and wholesale. When the pandemic hit, it was really a necessary pivot to follow people. 
right? That may or may not be part of, uh, of our growth strategy going forward. Um, but again, we were, we were capacity constrained, mm-hmm. right? And so we're constantly shutting the valves off on events and things of that nature in the summer because we can't meet it, right? And so we had to get over that hump and be like, okay, now we got to go build out the capacity and now our job is to go find homes, right? For all these extra donuts we're going to be able to make. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's kind of where we're at right now. And But, you know, the pandemic was easily the toughest three years of running a business ever. Um, and, and it was... It was tough from a labor standpoint, supply chain standpoint. Every day it was like, okay, where's cocoa? Oh, where's the, you know, where's the gluten-free ingredients? And, you know, carrying costs have doubled, right, for us, right, to make sure we have everything we need. And so we're holding when on to more inventory. When you say carrying you mean needing to keep more on hand yeah. at any given time? Yeah, because you you're looking know. at the market and the yeah. futures and all of a sudden, geez, now canola oil, right? Well, geez, mm-hmm. now we have to buy a month's worth of canola oil, right? That, that hurts your cash flow, right? Yeah. And now... You know, Benzor, the chocolate, where are we going to get that? We've had to go, you know, everywhere to find that. So let's get two months worth, right? Until the supply chain evens out, right? And so there's no shortage of challenges during that time period. Um, Lee, as the as the Muppet Chef, uh, as, as um, <laughs> proud what, Muppet I, I, uh, Chef, you queued up genius and Muppet yeah. Chef, and we have chosen Muppet <laughs> Chef. I love it. <laughs> you seem to have a little bit of hesitation with genius, so. yeah. Um, but. Uh, I'd imagine there's there's parallels for the scaling of just okay this this product's going further from home. I mean, but beer it's something certainly COVID really kicked that into high gear of like okay we're gonna have to send beer out of state when previously that was like an Breaks. absolute no no go ever type of thing. Um, but uh, multiple things like the industry evolved yada yada. But um, as that goes like. Certainly, you have less control, but I. What were um? What were some of the challenges, if there were? To, I don't know if shelf life would be the term you'd want to use, mm. but certainly it becomes has to become probably more of a thought than if you're just selling out morning of uh, at where the donuts are made. You know what I mean? Like mm. going into a Hannaford or going just into the um, artistic reservations of scaling up production and getting further or away. Or just the that physical, much. technical, um, yeah. te- technical innovations. Well, there. Jeff made a good point a few minutes ago when he said scaling an artisan product is is much more challenging than it appears. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And it just triggered my brain, to, your question is perfect, how stressful that is. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, I would walk into stores and the product would look really terrible sometimes. And it was so personal. And I just wanted to scream, but I didn't know how to fix it. I just couldn't wrap my brain around that. How do you get 25 different people to all do the same thing? I just couldn't even. Yeah, yeah. So we did have somebody who came in who was very militant, pun mm-hmm. intended, he was from the military. And he brought in... <laughs> somebody who really implemented strict production protocols and guidelines. Mm-hmm. Thank God, because that brings mm-hmm. us peace of mind because you cannot have three different precept pilsners yeah. no, on three can't. different yeah. stores. No. I mean, that's just business disaster yeah. 101. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So thank God for Jeff. Thank God mm-hmm. for some of the people he brought in who brought structure and order and really, really, really defined um, standards mm-hmm. for every single donut. And that, you know, it kind of freaked me out because it kind of took out the artisanness, but sure. more importantly, it took out the stress and the losing sleep at night. Mm, yeah, that someone's going to sell a product that's not cooked properly, yeah. that looks terrible, mm-hmm. that is this big, literally instead of this big. And we had <laughs> huge variation across the board for years, and it was kind of it was so embarrassing. Not I didn't me. even think about the size packaging and everything out. Right, yeah, all totally. of a sudden you're putting it on a bakery rack and you're putting it in the rack and the you lose the two donuts in the side because somebody made <laughs> yeah. it too. So now that your waist goes up, right? Yeah. It just, 
There's so many but ripple effects. But air temperature right? con- d- d- um, changes dough consistency oh, in an humidity, hour. So if you have you know, sitting out just, there and making 5,000 yeah. donuts at Exchange Street and they're cutting them at midnight and they're not cooking them till 6 a.m., you're just going to have different products. It's literally pull your hair out. So mm. it's kind of nice to just be able to say that to our customers listening, you know, for all those years, just give people a break because food <laughs> consistency is really, really hard. Yeah. It's like when you go to a restaurant and you had the steak last night, but you have it tonight and it's terrible. You're like, how does that happen? How is that possible? It's more likely that it will be different than yeah. it won't yeah, be different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you have a different person, you have different temperature, you have different feel, you have different, pr- everything's different. <laughs> so being in the food business, I don't know why anybody does it. <laughs> it's really stressful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's Because again, people are also really critical. And mm. if you had a great donut one day and you come in the next day yeah. and it's not good, and that's happened many, many times. We've got mm-hmm. a lot of feedback that's not great. Yeah. The same person can use social media for oh. not promotion. No, you can have people tear <laughs> yeah. you down in a second. Yeah. So we're very blessed. But we that- own it and we take care of it and we, you know, we, we make it right, right? Yeah. If we can. And we're not above a mistake, right? Um, we're human beings like everybody else. But it's, yeah. I mean, I mean again, and I ask for you to take any pity on us. We, we're very fortunate people, but it's scaling this business is a challenge right like with any business right? yeah, yeah i don't know anybody who's you know went from very humble beginnings of starting their kitchen to to trying to grow a thing i mean there's so many decisions challenges trade-offs and, and it's never linear it's about as messy as it gets um and you throw a pandemic in the middle of it and that just makes it that much <laughs> more human fun beings right? we're not machine oriented i mean we we are human like a lot of human beings put into this product so speaking mm. of consistency issues yeah. and being easy on us because yeah this was a handmade product up until very recently we do have a machine now but it it's 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 still very artisan handcrafted and lots of room for error still mm-hmm. yeah so Indeed. um what in in very specific sense like if you do send um an order to hannaford um or just a classic wholesale account like that mm-hmm. um how quickly do those need to sell for product just for, for integrity that day that wow even at at well because i was kind of wondering like so thinking about it, it was hard to imagine but it was even harder to imagine just, how you handled that. ate the margins <laughs> up considerably right and so it's we chose the the the, the few donuts that have a little bit longer shelf life so one and a half to two days but like on the second day like it's just like that's not we have six weeks on the we beer want. that's yeah. crazy and so tight. like we we're yeah. like okay we're, we're getting out of this right and so we pulled the plug in hannaford and and so Part of the journey we're going down now is how do we extend shelf life naturally, right, without stepping on our brand? And so we're that's another challenging thing. So we're knee deep in the middle of that process. And once we can figure that out and get it to four or five days, Hannaford will be a or other wholesale accounts will be more of an option for us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then shipping direct to our consumers. We leave so much money on the table every year because we don't ship our product. Mm-hmm. And we get so much demand uh, for that. That is going to be a monster for us once we can get there in a way in which we can be proud of from a shelf life extension standpoint and then solve the packaging problem. Yeah. Um, that is going to be a monster for us. What uh, do you mean when you say solve the packaging problem? Well, because we there's a number of people that ship in the donut space and yeah. I've shopped all of them and they arrive. It's awful. They're, they're falling apart. How to the make that is falling ex- off. Right. And you know, for, for this to be something that like, we can be proud of, like the unboxing has to be amazing, yeah. Yeah. right? How do we replicate what it's like to stand in front of our donut wall or talk yeah. to our wonderful people through packaging? That's going to be a whole giant puzzle for us to figure out. We may or may not ever get there. Um, you can talk to Permanent Hangover. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's all but it's, he thinks you about. Know, 
it's all there's no you know as you guys know there's no shortage of challenges and problems to solve and that, that's at the heart of what we do every day yeah in terms of um problems to solve and stuff like that i i as i was thinking about kind of listening to the different podcasts and listening to you there's there's a level of like humility in all of these things that i think is, so. is really at the core of a, a lot of this stuff um when you talk about looking to backfill positions and get somebody i'm i'm almost looking at the structure of it as i'm only doing this until i can find the person who's better at it than me absolutely so then i can move up and on to the next thing and i was really struck by when we met um just this, this your so confidence is there clearly but it, there's a humility that kind of layered all of it that really stuck with me and i kept thinking about it and um, when it comes to dealing with failures or different things or something like Auburn Lewiston in a market that maybe mm. wasn't ready for Holy Donut or something like that, yep. how do you how do you view that? What is that process like? It seemed in there was a matter of factness to the way that you spoke about it mm. that, that really kind of layered that it like just kind of didn't work, didn't work. Yep. Tried at the end and of the day, on to moving on to the next thing. But I I'd made like a mistake, right? That was the, the, I had to own that, right? At the end of the day, that was not the right timing for us. Right, we rolled the dice a little bit. That pandemic, we were going to be coming out of it in January. Mm -hmm. You know that, and it didn't happen. And you know, where was the? If you can just refresh me on where the timeline of that uh, stood and everything, even so, um, as the pandemic hit for us, like the reality was, we wouldn't be sitting here talking if we didn't have Scarborough in a drive-through, right? Mm. Our our absolute our mosh pit got destroyed. Right, seventy five percent of the top line gone. (laughs) Yeah, right. So dependent on foot traffic and everything it was just a bomb went off right and you know it was just at the beginning really it you know 18 19 is when we really started to to scale right and i understood like shit i, I can't keep grinding 70 80 hours a week right yeah, i gotta yeah. be bringing in these other people so we did and we're getting ready to boom take off and right and so like holy shit and so you know, again, Scarborough was our saving grace right, right. in that drive-through. And so we were looked at a couple other spaces, and we we looked at we ended up finding a space in Auburn where I think in the grand scheme of things, because also simultaneously we were fitting up a Rundle, understanding mm-hmm. that we needed to push our manufacturing processes forward, gain product consistency during a time when everything was costing you know twenty thirty percent more, taking far longer. So that was you know occupying a fair amount of our cash flow. Right. And so I didn't have time to continue to let Auburn bleed. Right. Where in a traditional sense, I might have given that, you know, a year or two to find its feet. And I still think this product will work in Auburn. Our timing was just off. Right. Yeah. As important as it is in other areas, I stepped in it there. Right. And then that's the reality. Um, and so I couldn't let it languish. Right. And we anticipated uh. and we forecasted a loss in year one, but we didn't forecast the loss that the trends were telling us we were going to look at. Um, well, you in didn't year predict two. COVID? <laughs> no. Yeah. Oddly enough, I did not have the COVID crystal ball. Um, well, you did a little. You put the drive, you got the Scarborough drive through. But, it, you know, at the end of the day, you yeah. know, anybody who thinks you're going to, you know, grow or run or scale a business would be mistake-free, you're mistaken. But when you step in shit, you raise your hand and you say you stepped in shit. Yeah. yeah. Right? And I think that's important for your team. It's important for everybody to to understand that. And to your point, like, you know, hopefully all of us behave with a healthy dose of humility, Right. All those people, I, you know, we work for them. They don't work for us, right? At the end of the day, I'm replaceable, right? All the people that do all the things, like we would be nothing without them. Yeah. And so we behave in that way every day, right? Mm-hmm. We wake up and we go to work because we work for them. With that lesson wor- learned and as Arundel takes shape and look to move south somewhat, what does make a great Holy Donut location in a community? Um, 
I think, you know, aesthetically, I think Lee can probably speak better than that. You know, mm-hmm. you can do site location, site selection, all those things, demographics, traffic patterns, traffic counts, and all those things. Um, but it's the people, right? At the end of the day, who's there smiling at you, right? And is your product good? Is your product consistent? And, you know, that location in Rundle is all about the facility, right? It just happened that there was a small little ice cream shop on there we don't forecast a lot of top line. Hopefully we're unpleasantly surprised there and we were able to draw a little bit more from the, the Wells and Kennebunk and Kennebunkport market. But the reality was that was just designed to throw off enough cash to service the debt load, right? Yeah. And also to extend the brand, right? But the positioning of where that facility lived for travel and for logistics and for getting product to where our growth strategy is looking to take us, that was really the the bigger play there. Yeah. Mm. Um, if I can switch gears and, and ask you uh, a little bit, Lee, just about how you know, you'd mentioned uh, quite a bit back just about where you sort of the the vastness from where you can draw inspiration, get excited to try to. But then the translating any given flavor, I'm sure it's very similar to beer in that there's no linear math to how to say use pomegranate as an example, like how to translate a flavor like that into a a foreign medium i guess um how can you talk just to that process and what that looks like for you we don't really create new flavors as the beginning was just a full-on uh few months of 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 really creating our our standards Mm -hmm. of of flavors (laughs) our 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 strict um set flavors that we still sell so there's like 12 16 20 i'm gonna say 20 flavors Mm -hmm. We don't really change it up that much anymore. They all were just sort of like little lightning bolts of of excitement for the first, literally first few weeks or months. I said, what do I want to eat? What do I want to yeah. eat? What do I want to eat? And it just, it they all work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're not that strange. A lot of them are kind of common um, flavor profiles. I do think that we do have a few um, interesting uh um, unexpected flavors like the sweet potato ginger I'm really proud of mm-hmm. um, dark chocolate sea salt nobody was doing chocolate and salt when that happened totally. yeah, nobody totally. I was sitting at my parents kitchen table eating him a piece of chocolate cake with my dad on his birthday and there was salt in front of me and I put it on the cake and I literally started <laughs> and I I'm said excited. To all, I said, oh my god this is so good and literally the next day I started making chocolate sea salt and I'm I'm being very cocky about this right now because I was that was that was divine intervention yeah and it's delicious and we sell a million of them, and I think it's it's one of our mm. our top. You know, it's a really important Easily part of the business. Seller. It is, and, yep. and they're mm-hmm. really good. So sweet and salty, and then you know, like the spiciness. And so I'm I'm proud of the artisanalness of the donut shop, and that again is another selling point. It's like not reinventing yeah. the wheel, but yes, reinventing the wheel. Mm. It's like we do a fresh lemon with really good lemon zest, and um, some of our flavors are, are the Allen's Coffee brandy is just kind of a joke. Yeah. yeah, it's a good playful jab at yeah. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. doubling down on the mainness. Yeah, right. you know, exactly. Sure. Yeah. So everything is just kind of a little <laughs> bit, you know, yeah. a little bit extra creative. And um, I think people expect that. And I think that's part of our selling point. And we did. And that's, you know, over the past you know few years with COVID, like it's been a battening down of the hatches in a lot of areas. And yeah. so a lot of that stuff mm-hmm. hasn't is, has been paused a little bit. But thankfully, we have a, a ton of creative people uh, within the company. And that's something that we're hugely looking forward to getting back to right yeah pumping out and that's gonna be a big part of our continued growth um and so we've licked some wounds on some mistakes and get over some of the challenges of covid and we're gonna get back to it and and there's yeah. a beautiful type of creativity that comes from refining 
and building efficiencies. Like it's very different from, mm. you know, the probably like the creativity that you or I started the businesses with, you know, mm. but um, that's been just a, a common theme, certainly in this podcast. And so totally. just as our business has starts to enter a phase where the same sort of instantaneous um, satisfactions and motivations that come from when things are wild and every, yeah, mm. everyone's going to be engaged by necessity. Um, the, that next level of digging deeper definitely sort of separates the cream to a degree, but also when you, with the right perspective, there's, there's an immense amount of, uh, room for creativity applied to, to honing things. I mean, I, I'm something I'm super proud of is, you know, we had substance was our only beer for, nine months i think after we opened and that in previously was a beer that i homebrewed like every week um and <laughs> and i i looking back on it i can't see us sitting here and talking if things were any different um so i think there's a just really not even a question but just a, a statement I, I really love the value in i guess chasing perfection for for lack of a, a better term um mm -hmm. do you do you feel like that's sort of a stage you're as you say battening down the hatches mm. um Certainly in, in COVID, there was a lot of that and yeah. just looking at things creatively, if nothing else, rather than looking mm. at the, the product itself creatively. Mm. Um, is that something, a, a theme um, at the Holy Donut right now? Indeed. I mean, I think creativity, you know, has a, a lot of hats and whether that's a more creative way to construct accounting is uncreative. As yeah, no, exactly. My feel, or yeah. a different way in which to do our scheduling or our forecasting. And, and so you have to take, you know, some joy and pride in, 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 in finding creative ways, although it may not fit that traditional definition uh, of creativity. But I think if you're going to run any business, you better be damn well terribly creative and, and yeah. how you do a hundred things, right? In yeah. the early, early, early days, we had to get creative on how we we're going to make payroll. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Not right. And right. like, it's just, you know, it's a requirement. It doesn't, uh, it isn't always fun, right? And it isn't always sexy, but it, it's creativity is a requirement. Yeah, for sure. Um, as we start to wrap down, um, what does sort of the, what do you see as taking up the most of your time? I'll say that in the next few years, mm. um, if you if you have any uh, insight into that. Probably very different answers. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. The next few years is going to be all about optimizing and maximizing the facility we just made a substantial investment in, right? And, and refining what it is we do. Right. And another kind of, I feel like we've had a series of just kind of resets. Like, okay. And we opened up exchange. Like, okay. Now we're going to figure this out. All right. Open Scarborough. All right. Great. Now we're going to and create just another, the next platform for us to continue to stand on firmly in order to grow sustainably on. Mm. What about for you, Lee? Well, most people wouldn't know, but I have been very uninvolved in the Holy Donut for the past at least five years. I really, really, really had to step back and I wasn't really sure what my role was. Yeah. And I wasn't making donuts. I'm not an office person and I wasn't creating anymore. So I've been- Started podcasts. That's what, that's what I did. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought about that, but um, I have not been day-to-day -day involved at all. My daughter is a teenager. She lives across the world. I travel a lot to do things with her. That said- I'm newly inspired to come in on from a different angle. I recently went up to UMaine and did a talk with um, the college kids there to talk about the origins of the Holy Donut and how it helped really heal eating disorder issues in my life. Uh. And so now I feel really confident in my 12 years of experience of how the Holy Donut has really, really changed my life on a very deep level. Yeah. Mm. And I actually want to bring that to our 
employees. Mm. I feel like I, I I know my I know my my voice now of what the Holy Donut represents for me and how it can help other people. So in other words, I started that business to heal that voice that says, do not eat donuts. Uh, so mm. I ate them, I uh. sold them, and it worked. Mm. And so I realized that getting over issues, addiction issues, food food issues nice. are addiction issues. Booze, food, you know, alcohol, we all have issues. I came from addiction and a it lot just of comes this from, has it's a coping mechanism. a similar process. Mm. Mm. Yes. So recently going up to UMaine and talking to us, the student body about this was very, very powerful for me. And I just did that this week. And awesome. so now I feel like I, I would like to impart some of that wisdom to our own, own employees and people. Everybody is struggling sometimes silently and they don't even, it's hard. These are hard topics to talk about. Yeah. Eating mm. issues are hard, is a hard topic. However, we live in a country that's very riddled with eating confusion <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and issues. Definitely females, probably every single one of them Men and increasing too. at a younger age with all of this stuff, the, the data is there that that's increasing in younger You're age groups. You're absolutely females. right about that. Yeah. So women are crippled by some of these issues. And mm-hmm. I my, my message is of hope that you can take your crippling issues, which I had, mm-hmm. and turn it into something very positive, not just for me, but for a lot of people. Yeah. So I really am want to say to people, use your issues for the greater good. Don't just... Don't run from Don't it. just be ruined by it. And so when I mm. went to the college students, I'm 47 years old. Don't waste 30 years of your life struggling. Mm. I have wisdom and I'm sharing it with you now so you can have a nice, beautiful life that's free of guilt and shame about your body or yourself or all of these things. And I know I'm, this is very deep stuff. Yeah. But the Holy Donut has been a beautiful example of how to take something, how to take pain and Lemons, lemonade out of lemons. <laughs> Lemon glazed donuts out of lemons. So, and just one while we're in that um, kind of more vulnerable, um, like personal space, I think if um, listening to you talk about the business as a family business, and I do think that's that's frankly something that I don't think is communicated incredibly well compared to the other stuff. Mm. It took I didn't learn that until I got ready for this podcast. To mm. be honest. Um, but hearing some of the stories about your father specifically, mm-hmm. um, everybody in the family kind of how you got involved in pitching mm-hmm. in, but really hearing some of the stories about Al, um, just thought was so incredibly touching. My entire existence basically was marked by losing my dad at a very young mm-hmm. age. When I look at Noah and Pete, mm-hmm. the return home to open the brewery in Milo was not long after losing their mother, whether that was a catalyst or not. But can you just, to kind of round this up, talk about Al and what he meant to the business? <laughs> I and, would love to. And what, <laughs> holy do- what Holy Donuts couldn't be if it wasn't for Al. Oh, mm. wonderful way to end this. So I, I, I wish that everybody had somebody like that, and I call him my donut angel. And anyone listening to this, I really say that my dad was what a father, did what a father is supposed to do which is Mm. to help your children be set up for success. So for him to show up at 6 a.m. every single day without being paid just because is the tone of how parents are supposed to be. That is our job. We are supposed to be stewards for our children to Mm -hmm. do good things in the world. Mm -hmm. And it's like it wasn't about him. It was about me. And he really set me up for success and for our entire family. Mm -hmm. Like all four of our children Mm -hmm. are going to be set up for success. It's this beautiful hierarchy of what he did. And that's what a father does is, is you show up, you help, you get out of the way and you just make things, you, you set the path um, for your descendants. Mm-hmm. And so I was definitely the recipient of that. Jeff's the recipient of that, of that 100%. givingness. And I 
take that. I, I'm like, that's how I want it. That's how I parent my daughters. It's not about really about me anymore. I want you, you're the next generation. I want your children to benefit. I want their children to benefit. And we just had our 10 year anniversary of the Park Ave location. Mm. We said, how are we going to promote this? I said, it's not about me. It's not about him. Mm. It's about our children and our grandchildren. We want them to feel like we have done something with a legacy and with an importance and leaving an impact on the community that is um, uh, profound and important and Mm. good intentions. Like the Holy Donut is all about love. Yeah. I don't really, we, you know, it was never about money. Yeah. It was about what do we want to do for the greater good for humanity, for Portland, to bring people hope. (laughs) Donuts bring hope. But then our children will benefit from that as well. So it's the beautiful trickle effect of doing something good really, really, really is um, important for everybody involved. So I'm psyched that our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, hopefully we're going to leave them a freaking great dynasty. (laughs) And both of us are Mm -hmm. committed to that. Like, if nothing else, they'll have a really great model. Yeah. You know, they really, they, we're going to put in our, our full effort yeah. to make sure our grandchildren are set up. Yeah. That's, that's my dream. And I as, want them to work hard. I don't want them to just be on the gravy train, hmm. but they will be. <laughs> <laughs> you, need, you need some adversity in there somewhere. Um, for you who kind of saw it taking shape, um, got involved and, and really helped put your personality and your imprint on it. Um, how do you, it sounds like you're at that, that stage in the business where you're you're really balancing the growth of Holy Donut with mm. being really active in your family. How do you balance those two things? That's really tough. Um, you know, I can remember in the early years when we, you know, listen, I would chat like, are, are you really quitting your job and like jumping into this? I'm like, yeah, I, I, I have belief in this. So I said, but you're probably not going to see me a lot for the next few years, right? And so a few years became six, right? And so... Um, I've had the privilege to work with all of my children in the business and, and Lee's uh, child, Avery, as well. And mm-hmm. so for, for me, looking back on that, I mean, there were some challenging times. I don't recommend trying to manage directly your teenage daughter right, in the business. <laughs> um, but, you know, I get to have those moments, right? And I got to see Al have his own moment with Lee. Yeah. And, and it's just, it's been so awesome. We're, we're all terribly fortunate. You know, I, I'm not sure I, I know of another more fortunate family. Um, and so it's been a lot of hard work, but you know, back to Alan, he, he just set such a wonderful example. He was just such a kind, thoughtful human being. I don't think I've ever heard him speak a negative word about anybody ever. Nope, yeah. He just once. showed up, he grounded out, and just no matter what. And even, you know, when he was dealing with his sickness, he never leaned on that. Nobody ever knew, right? It, it's just, he he was just a, a model father. And if I'm going to be half the father he was, then I'll consider myself successful. Unreal. Mm. Amazing. Beautiful. Well, we got one more thing we got to do before we let y'all get out of here. Uh-oh. Is there like beer coming it's down? No, nope, nope, nothing like that. <laughs> we end, stand? It's close. <laughs> so we end, um, first of all, thank you for the time. This has been an incredible yeah, conversation. And it's kind of really sparked on, on. Thank God I met you that day. What started in Scarborough. Yeah. I really, really enjoyed that. And I had a feeling mm. this would be mm. a lot more of that. It's been so nice to get to know you as well. Yeah. But we do a thing we call the three bay here on Graining In. Okay. We grain in. Mm-hmm. on these topics and then at the end we wash it up end it with something a lot lighter uh okay. kind of fun it's like a free association game okay. noah's going to give you three historical figures <laughs> oh, holy boy. donut is about nostalgia he kind of talked about all these things things like love mm-hmm. old timey 
old-timey tunes, stuff like that. We're going to give you three historical figures, and you're going to serve them three donuts and mm. tell us why. So you're going to pair funny. a donut with the person. I'll let Noah take it away. Yeah. And, Any reason you want. And, uh, yeah, if you want to each do your own tag team, however, whatever your uh, whatever function works best. But um, let's go try to hit a few different areas. Let's go... Um, from the cookbook theme, let's go Julia Child. Throw her in. Ooh, that's pressure. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> but I have uh, an answer. We'll go, sweating already. We'll go Abe Lincoln. You know, mm. solid, solid. Honest about Abe. as historical as <laughs> the figure as they come. And um, let's do something a little different. Um, I don't know why it's on my brain, but let's go Marlon Brando. <laughs> go, uh, wow, yeah, okay. a titan of acting. Yeah. Okay. Three historical figures. And you can choose whatever donut would, whether that somehow exemplified them or if they walked into the store, what what you would uh, point them in the direction to. Well, I'll let Lee's the flavor queen. So, I mean, if it's okay with you, I'll take Abe Lincoln. (laughs) You know, super simple, very honest, very direct, very upright person. (laughs) Old fashioned. Yeah, there it is. Oh, good Just an old fashioned for honest Abe. What the holy cannoli is an interesting one, and Julia Child being the the foodie, you know, it's it's kind of a it's I'm pretty proud of that. With mm. the ricotta originally had mascarpone cheese and uh. a, a ginger glaze, which is kind of an interesting contradiction with sweet and you know ricotta cheese with a little bit of of uh, spice. Yeah. Mm. So I think she would be impressed with that. So I'm going to say that one. Um, we do a whiskey donut mm. um, for Father's mm. Day. Whiskey glaze. I don't know if we do it anymore. We used to use a lot of booze, whiskey, and it was probably bacon. totally yeah. illegal. I remember the maple bacon. I think was my first. Well, that was I was thinking, but I was. We used to really use a lot of booze. Yeah, but we now we, it up a we're bit. a little too. <laughs> we're a little too corporate Maybe that's now. Why the consistency wasn't great. I'm not <laughs> sure. I used to make a donut <laughs> but, that would get you drunk. You know. When we first opened, I'd be like dumping the whiskey in and glazing the donuts. The mimosa, you know. Yes, and I thought they were a beautiful thing and nobody really questioned it. I don't think we do that anymore. They weren't for the kids. Yeah. (laughs) Not kid-friendly donuts. (laughs) So we might have to bring those back until somebody busts us. But I think a whiskey glazed donut, was it was a great concept and that would be the Marlon Brando. I don't know, he's just kind of apocalypse I knew where you were going. Yeah, I love it. Wow, excellent. Well played. Yes. Um, well, thank you both so much for the time. It's great to meet both of you. Pleasure. And uh, yeah, as about as inspiring of a story as you can hear. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. And I'm drinking this precept and I just want to give That's you some fantastic. props because the brand is, is gorgeous, but I'm sucking it down because mm-hmm. it's so <laughs> delicious. Al would have loved the Pilsner. He was a Pilsner I know. I was guy, thinking right? the same thing. The too, fact yeah. that you served us Pilsner is not yeah. lost on awesome. either of yeah. us because that was my yeah. dad's favorite beer. He was a beer obsessed guy. So this is all very cool. This one cool. goes out to Al. That Absolutely. goes out to Al. Yes. Cheers. 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 Cheers to you. Good dads, yeah. good people. And thank you. For nice to see you both. Thank you for your time. And to just go full circle and that you'll see the 100% main grain is, uh, is uh, what goes Absolutely. into every can there. So, yep. Two main companies. Uh, Great conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Pleasure. Thank you. I'm in the mood to be slow and careful. My body.